Thank you for joining us for the lessons from First Naz podcast. Yesterday was super fun. If uh, if you weren't here for at least a little bit of it, you missed out. I hate missing out. I have always, always, always hated missing out when when my friends are doing something fun, when something exciting is happening. I hate missing out. When I was in college, my my senior year of college, I was in charge of a Wednesday night worship service. And you know what else happened on Wednesday night in Nampa, Idaho? Cheap bowling happened on Wednesday night in Nampa, Idaho. And I was in charge of a worship service. So I had to be there. When you go to a Christian school, for those of you who don't know, when you go to a Christian college, you have to attend chapel so many times during the semester. And, and so the service that I was in charge of on Wednesday nights was an opportunity for people to make up chapel services that they had skipped through the year. And so I had to be there to collect the cards that were their attendance things. And, you know, when, you're, when you run something like that, people want to talk, and you want to help the musicians if you can, and you want to be around. My friends, though, my wonderful friends, they knew it was cheap bowling night. And while they were faithful to attend the worship service that I was running, they would get immediately in their vehicles from, from whatever venue we were at and go to the bowling alley without me. And then they would come back, and they'd have all the great stories about who had gotten a great strike or picked up a beautiful spare or who had to pay the penance for being the lowest man on the totem pole. I'll tell you about what the penance is in private. Uh, the, and so it was always, I missed out. I hated missing out. I hate missing out. I still hate missing out. I've been like this all my life. When I was four, I, I have this really strong memory. When I was four years old, I was in preschool. My mom worked over on the, the campus of the college, and I went to the preschool there. And I remember every once in a while, they would have young men, college men come. And they were just men to me because I was four, right? They were men. They were grown-up men that were there to play. And it was awesome, right? And I remember one particular time, there was one of these, these grown-up men who was so cool. Oh, he was so cool. He was awesome, and I loved to play with him. And I don't remember what I was playing that day, but I got, I got a little, you know, as a four-year-old boy does, I got a little occupied, and I had an accident. I had an accident, and so I had to go find the adults. And the adults, including this really cool young man, were, were kind of by the, the front door of the playground area. And I walked up, um, and right as, <laughs> right as I walked up, I, right as I walked up, there was a crisis happening among the adults. There was a crisis that a ball had gotten stuck on the roof. And this young man, he's probably 18, right? He has this brilliant idea that these children, they're small, and he could lift them up and put them on the roof and get the ball. So I had approached the adults because... <laughs> I can't do it without laughing. I had approached the adults because I needed help, right? But then, all of a the sudden, there was this golden opportunity. Some young child was going to be put on the roof to get a ball off the roof. And I said, here I am. Here I am. I want to go up on the roof. Please put me on the roof. And, uh, and so this young college man, he hadn't seen how I had approached him. He reached down, and he, he bent down, he picked me up, and he started to put me up. And it's just burned in my memory. I can just remember so clearly. He said, oh, he's wet. <laughs> and he put me down, and, and I, I remember looking at him. And he's looking at his hands like, like he had just touched a four-year-old who had just had an accident. I hate missing out. I hate missing out. I, I think we all hate missing out, right? It's why we check our phones constantly. We don't want to miss that text, right? We don't want to, what if they call? What if they, what if they text and, and say, hey, we're going to, we don't want to miss the post on Instagram or Facebook we watch the news a lot, right? Because we don't want to miss the latest headline. What if somebody else finds out before I do? I want to know. I want to be, I don't want to miss out. I don't want to miss out. And we, we, keep, we keep up to date. We watch, we watch the latest shows so that we can be in the conversation 
when all of our friends are talking or all of our coworkers are talking about that show because we don't want to miss out. We want to be, we want to be up to date. We want to, we never want to miss out. Today's story from 1 Samuel is a story where Samuel, he almost missed out. He almost missed it. But God was patient with him and he, he didn't miss it. And it's a story where, where it turns out that Eli, who is the priest who is in charge, turns out that he is going to miss out. So I'm, I'm going to 1 Samuel chapter 3 this morning, but I left off last week just midway through 1 Samuel chapter 2 because I, I'm, I'm only focusing in these sermons on the life of Samuel. But I have to give you a quick summary just to catch you up to where we're at in the book of 1 Samuel. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, we, we read about Hannah, who is Samuel's mom. Last week, we talked about her story and the way that she had prayed for a child, and Eli the priest had found her praying, and he said, may God give you the desires of your heart, and then God gave her a son. And instead of hoarding the blessing for herself, she gave the blessing of her son Samuel to God. And she walked away from giving back the blessing that God had given her praising God's name and singing a song of praise to God. And then we're told in 1 Samuel that she went home and God continued to bless her. God continued to bless her. God gave her three more sons and two daughters. She was truly blessed. And she came back every year. She gave a coat to young Samuel as he grew. We also read in chapter 2 of Eli's family. Eli is the priest at the time, and Eli, he, Eli has two sons. Uh, he has two sons. Their names are Hophni and Phineas. Hophni and Phineas. And they are, we are told, the, the Bible actually says, this is not my word, this is the Bible's word, they are scoundrels. They are scoundrels. This is a great, great word, great biblical word, right? scoundrels. In, in verse 12 in, in chapter 2, it says, uh, they were scoundrels and they had no respect for the Lord. And Eli tried to correct them. He tried to correct them, but they just kept, they kept being scoundrels. They didn't listen to their dad. They didn't, they didn't receive correction. And, and eventually God warns, warns Eli that they're, they are not going to be the priests. Just definitely not. Definitely not. These boys of yours, they're not going to follow in your footsteps, Eli. In fact, God says as a sign, as a sign that they have been excluded, they are both going to die on the same day. And, and so God, God gives that warning. God gives that warning. And so that, that is Eli's reality, Eli's legacy as he's growing into his older years and, and getting into the sunset uh, of his life. And now we turn to 1 Samuel chapter 3. And 1 Samuel chapter 3 starts with a word to give us a little bit of context about the, the days of God's people as, as we get in, in the, the reality of God's people in these days. It says in 1 Samuel chapter 3 verse 1, meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. Now in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare and visions were quite uncommon. So this introduction to the chapter, this first verse, it gives us a sense that things are not very hopeful, right? We've already read in chapter two about how Eli's scoundrel sons are just doing whatever they want to do. They're not being faithful to God. They have no respect for the Lord. And then to boot, God's voice is not being heard among God's people. And, and this, is, this is bad news. This is, this is bad news. This is a bad setup for, for God's people, for, for the context here. This is a period of history of God's people that is marked by a cycle of, of God doing miraculous things and bringing his people to, to prosperity and peace and then in the book of Judges, which is right before this historically, in the book of Judges, this phrase is repeated over and over again, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And everyone did what was right in their own eyes, it means decline. 
It means that the people that had been receiving God's gifts and had been experiencing God's faithfulness were all of a sudden looking at other gods and saying, hey, maybe that God has something cool that I could experience. Maybe that God is doing something more for his people than my God is doing for me. And so they would start to, to uh, have idols and they would chase after other gods. And then, as the cycle would go, they would eventually kind of fall prey to the false gods, and then they would eventually start to fall prey to their neighbors, and their neighbors would start beating up on them, and, and their neighbors would start taking back the land that they had tried to take, the land that was promised to them by God. And then God would call somebody, and God would call somebody to be a judge, and the judge would unite the people and would, would help them to reestablish their faith in God and to reestablish themselves as secure in the land that God had promised. And so in this cycle, we're, we're in a trough. We're in a trough. We're in a point where the, the sons of Eli, the, the important religious leaders, these should be important re religious leaders, are scoundrels. They're getting fat off of the, the offerings that are being brought to God. They're getting fat. They're seducing the women that come to the, to the tabernacle to, to worship. They're just doing their own thing. And to boot, God's voice is not being heard. Visions are very rare. Visions are very rare. The Lord was not. Messages from the Lord were uncommon. And so, in, in that reality, in that reality, in that low point in God's among God's people, the Lord begins to speak again. We read about it in verses 2 through, I think I'm going through verse 8 here. One night, Eli, who was almost blind by now, had gone to bed. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark of God. Suddenly, the Lord called out, Samuel! Yes, Samuel replied. What is it? He got up and ran to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I did not call you, Eli replied. Go back to bed. So he did. Verse 6. Then the Lord called out again, Samuel. Again, Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, my son, Eli said. Go back to bed. Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he had never had a message from the Lord before. So the Lord called a third time. And once more, Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? And so we're, we're about one repetition short of an Abbott and Costello bit here, right? Like, this is just getting a little ridiculous. Three times Samuel has heard the word of the Lord, and three times he goes back to Eli. Hey, did you call me? Next, we're going to be finding out that what's on second and I don't know is on third, right? It's just there's confusion. Confusion is reigning. And it, we get this, this interesting piece of information that Samuel just didn't know what the Lord's voice sounded like. And so when he heard the voice of the Lord, he thought it was Eli. I think that is fascinating. I think that's really interesting that he would think that Eli's voice or that God's voice was Eli's. I think that's really interesting to us. And I think there is probably a message in this for us. I think there might be a message in this for us. You know, sometimes we think about God's voice. God's voice is being, you know, deep and booming, right? And maybe that's what Eli's voice sounded like. <laughs> maybe that's what, what uh, Eli, he, when he called Samuel, it was Samuel. And so when... When God called Samuel, he just, you know, oh, it sounds like Eli's calling. Hey, what do you know? Maybe. I, but I think that the message in here for us might be uh, for us who have authority to speak into the lives of other people. It, there might be a message in here for those of us who are put in positions or who have relationships with people, that, that people seek our voice out. That people, people want to know what we have to say about a certain issue or topic. I think that there's maybe, there's maybe something. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't prepared that sermon, so I'm not going to preach that sermon. 
I think that there might be, might be a message in this for those who have a voice of authority. The other thing I, I really I like about this passage, I like about Samuel mistaking God's voice for Eli's voice, what would it be like if people heard us speak and we sounded so much like God that they heard God when we spoke? What if our words were so seasoned with love and mercy and truth and grace that when people heard us speak, they thought, it sounds like the Lord speaking. Hmm. I haven't prepared that sermon, so I'm not going to preach that sermon this morning. So after a third time, Samuel still doesn't get it, right? Samuel still, he's heard God call three times. He's gotten out of bed three times. This is getting ridiculous. This is getting, I've, well, I've rarely, my wife has been called by somebody three times in the night, my young child, right? It gets, this is getting to be a long night. <laughs> He's getting up many times now. And, and still, he goes to Eli. But after, after the third time, Eli kind of gets it. We read in the second half of, of verse 8 and onward, then Eli realized it was the Lord who was calling the boy. So he said to Samuel, go and lie down again. And if someone calls again, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went back to bed. Okay. Another sermon that I haven't prepared, but I'm not going to preach, but I'm just really curious about it, really interested. In, in the first part of the book of 1 Samuel here, there is a contrast building between Eli and Samuel, right? There's a contrast building. And so I'm really interested in the way that Eli tells Samuel the words to speak. Eli had experience in God, hearing God's voice. In chapter 2, we read about Eli receiving messages from the Lord. They're not good, but he, he received messages from the Lord. So he had experience. Samuel, who is not experienced, who, who just is called, he's just called, he thinks that it's actually Eli who's calling him. He says, here I am, did you call me? Those seven words, those two sentences, those are repeated in every response of, of Samuel to Eli. Every time that Samuel gets up and, and goes to Eli, he says, here I am, did you call me? And then uh, Eli says, it's not me. And finally, he says, okay, if you hear that voice again, if you hear voice again, what you need to say is speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And so the voice of experience says, speak, Lord, uh, your servant is listening. And, but uh, Eli is never the hero. Eli is never the hero. And so it's interesting to me the difference between Eli's speak, I'm listening, that's an interesting response. Speak, Lord, for I'm listening. And then it's, an, it's a different response. It's a different response to say, here I am. Did you call me? So, it's interesting. <laughs> I, again, didn't prepare that sermon, so I'm going to move right along. In chapter 3, verse 10, then, we read, And the Lord came and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel replied, speak, your servant is listening. I have to admit, I love that it took four times for Samuel to respond correctly. I love that God was so patient. God was so patient. Three times, Samuel heard, and he messed up. <laughs> Three times, Samuel heard, and he went the wrong, to the wrong person. He went the wrong direction. And the fourth time, God still called. And actually, God calls emphatically this time. In, in the first two times, if you're looking at your Bible, the first two times that God calls, he just says, Samuel. The third time, it just says, God called again. This time, it's Samuel, Samuel. Two times. 
In the English, we put exclamation points behind it. In, in the Hebrew, in the original language, there aren't exclamation points. The way that they exclaim in Hebrew is through repetition. It's through repetition. So the, in the Hebrew, when there's multiple t- uh, times, when, when God is holy, 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 it is God is holy because it is, it is super exclamatory. And so when, when there are two repetitions of the name Samuel here, it is Samuel with an exclamation point and a hand clap and a stomp your foot. It's Samuel. God is, is getting Samuel's attention here. He, he calls again. He knows that Samuel is ready to respond. He knows that Samuel is going to listen this time. He calls out. God is not dissuaded by the fact that he had to call four times. If you made me call you four times, you would not hear from me. I'm sorry. I am not that patient. God is much more patient and kind than I am. But I would be looking for a different number. I'd be looking for somebody else to help me move if it took me four times to get a hold of you. But God is patient. God knows that he needs to talk to Samuel. So the fourth time, he calls to him with an exclamation. And once Samuel knows how to respond, he responds correctly, right? He's been confused. He's been confused at every point up till now. And and he takes Eli's good advice. Eli has given him good advice. He takes it. He says, speak. Your servant is listening. And, And we're about to read what the Lord has to say. You're going to notice that the Lord just gets right into it. <laughs> the Lord just gets right into it. He doesn't, the Lord doesn't mess around saying like, I am the Lord your God and I have this message for you, right? Uh, we think of the prophets hearing messages like, thus saith the Lord. There is there's nothing like that. And I want to point out a contrast that, that is interesting. The Lord doesn't say, don't be afraid, when, when an angel comes, when an angel comes and appears before a servant of God, what are the first words the angel always says? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Mary, for you are favored among women. Don't be afraid, Joseph, to take the young bride. Don't be afraid every time. Every time that an angel appears, don't be afraid. God speaks. God speaks from heaven. In a time when visions are rare and messages from the Lord are not often heard. And God does not have to say, do not be afraid. I think that means that Samuel wasn't afraid. I think that means that there's something about the voice of the Lord that wasn't wasn't scary. That was maybe maybe welcoming, maybe maybe comforting. Maybe it was nice for Samuel to hear a message from God. God comes at times with scary messages, right? (laughs) But I I don't think that God's presence comes into our lives with terror. So we read. We read what the Lord says in verses 11 through 14. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I am about to do a shocking thing in Israel. I'm going to carry out all my threats against Eli and his family from beginning to end. I have warned him that judgment is coming upon his family forever because his sons are blaspheming God and he hasn't disciplined them. So I have vowed that the sins of Eli and his sons will never be forgiven by sacrifices or offerings. God does something here that I don't think is for us to emulate. Uh, I don't think God is giving us a pattern to repeat here. Think about who this message is really for. This message is, is 
not directed particularly at Samuel. In fact, the message has very little bearing on Samuel. I mean, Samuel is finding out that the, the priesthood is not going to continue on with Eli and his family, and Samuel is probably the heir apparent to the priesthood at that point. But the message here is not a message that Samuel needed to receive before Eli. It's not a message that Samuel really needed to be the, the bearer of for any reason. God could have gone straight to Eli with this message. And in fact, in, verse, in chapter 2, we see that God is speaking to Eli about the problems. This is, this is kind of the closing of the door. This is kind of the last, the last straw has, has broken the camel's back, and here, here is the message. And it comes, so there's a priest, right? There's a priest who is Eli, and the message pertains to him. And there is this boy, Samuel, who's been dropped off in the tabernacle to work there. And, and God has a choice. God has a choice to give the message for Eli directly to Eli. But instead, God chooses to give the message about Eli to the boy Samuel. This is, this is interesting, right? This is interesting, interesting stuff. Why, why would God do that? Again, I would, I would not suggest that we do this. God, God does not have to defend his own actions or, <laughs> or what, what God chooses to do. And often God chooses a messenger to, to speak on, on his behalf, right? Uh, I, would say, I would say, though, that just because God chooses a messenger and, and tells Eli via Samuel what his plan is, it doesn't mean that we are being godly when we choose a messenger to go deliver hard news to other people. And so, Samuel knows Eli's fate. Samuel knows in the middle of the night, he's heard this hard word for Eli. And Eli has taken him in Eli has to be somewhat of a father, of a father figure. Eli, Eli has to be respected by Samuel. And Samuel has this hard word from God for Eli. And we see that Samuel is not in any hurry to deliver the message, but he doesn't avoid it. Let's check it out. Verses 15 through 18 say, Samuel stayed in bed until morning. Then he got up and opened the doors of the tabernacle as usual. He was afraid to tell Eli what the Lord had said to him. But Eli called out to him, Samuel, my son. Here I am, Samuel replied. What did the Lord tell you? Tell me everything. And may God strike you and even kill you if you hide anything from me. So Samuel told Eli everything. He didn't hold anything back. It is the Lord's will, Eli replied. Let him do what he thinks is best. So Samuel doesn't just like run to Eli to tell him. He waits until he's called, right? Waits until he's called and then he goes. And Eli... You have to wonder, did Eli have an inkling that there was bad news for Eli in the message that Samuel received? Um, this, this curse, it's a curse that, that Samuel receives from Eli. May the Lord strike you dead, essentially, if you hold back even one word. <laughs> it's, uh, it's harsh words from the priest of God to say, may the Lord strike you dead if you don't tell me everything. And and so you have to wonder, what's Eli's motivation? Does he, does he know there's a bad word for him? It's a hard word for him. Is he just so excited that here's his protege and he knows that the Lord has spoken to him in the night and he just wants to hear every word? Just tell me everything. Don't leave anything out. Is it out of excitement? And, and in some ways, in some ways, this, this curse is actually a blessing. This, in, in Eli saying... May you be struck dead if you don't tell me everything. It gives Samuel the ability to, to just say it. To say it. He doesn't, he doesn't have to weigh 
how much of that really bad stuff about Eli that God said do I have to tell Eli? Eli, Eli has given Samuel permission to just unload. Give it to him straight. All the gory details. And Eli's response to the gory details is interesting, right? It's the Lord's will. It's the Lord's will. Let God do what God thinks is best. Remember, the word that Samuel received was not even Eli's sins, let alone his sons. Not even Eli's sins will be forgiven by sacrifices or offerings. Eli receives the news of his own condemnation with a shrug. It's the Lord's will. Let God do what God thinks. What God thinks is best. You know, the lawyer's son in me begins to kind of process and, and say, okay, the Lord did say not by sacrifices or offerings, but God can do anything God wants to do. And maybe there is still a way. Maybe, maybe Eli had a sense that oh, there's another way beyond, beyond sacrifices and offerings. I want to find the loophole, right? I don't know that there is a loophole here. I don't, I don't know that that's where Eli's mind went. Eli seems resigned. He seems let God do what God's going to do. In a lot of ways, we would say that's a faithful response, right? In a lot of ways, we would say, knowing that God's will is good and wanting God's will, even if it's bad for me or it appears bad for me, is the godly thing to do. But it's hard to imagine that Eli was, <laughs> was so faithful to God, so obedient to God that he would think even the word of his condemnation is, is good news. So, it's interesting. It's an interesting response. Eli, he, he says the right words here. He says the right words, right? Regardless of, of how we take it, he says the right words. These are, this is hard. This is a hard thing to process because God says it's Eli's sins that won't be, won't be forgiven. But really what we're talking about is, is wayward sons. We're talking about scoundrel sons, right? I am, I am not one to want to condemn other people because of their wayward children. I don't think God, I don't know. And and the word, the message is because God did not, or because Eli did not discipline them. But I mean, we see in, in chapter two, Eli trying to correct his sons. He goes to them, he says, What you are doing is not right. This is, uh, this is a hard, hard spot in scripture to know exactly exactly what's going on. What, it, I really, I think this is hard, especially when we consider if, if parents, parents just don't have control over their children, right? If we could absolutely control the will of our children or the way our children act, like many family dynamics would be much different, right? Many family dynamics would be much different if we could control our children, absolutely. And, and so, I mean, I don't, And, and the best, the other reason this is really, really hard, like theologically, is because the best analogy for our relationship with God is God being our Heavenly Father, right? If Eli is thought to be to blame for his children's waywardness, and God is our Father, what? Theologically, that's a hard place to go. We need some philosophy students around for us to help us out with this. Go study philosophy. Come back and tell us. Anyway, I, I, I think 
ultimately what we what we see is Eli saying the right words, right? What we what we have in the text is Eli saying, if it's God's will, it's God's will. So be it. May God do what God is going to do. God's will is always good, so let's let's go with God's will, even if it looks bad for me. Eli has a pattern. If we're looking for patterns in Eli's life, he has a pattern of saying the right things. He has a pattern. He, he goes to his sons who are wayward and doing all kinds of terrible things in chapter 2. He says, what you are doing is not right. But it's never recorded that he actually disciplines them. In fact, God says he, he has not disciplined his, his children. God, God notes that in spite of his correct words, he, he had the correct words when Samuel was hearing from the Lord. He gave Samuel the words so that Samuel would respond correctly to God. And, and then he has the correct words from this hard message. He had that, the correct words in chapter 2 when he said to his sons, what you are doing is not right. Over and over, he seems to have the right words, but maybe, just maybe, it's that his actions don't line up exactly with his words. Maybe, maybe that's one of the contrasts that the writer is trying to, to create for us here in this first part of 1 Samuel. If that is the case, ooh, that's a message that I could hear. <laughs> that's, a, that, that's a message that would take me to the altar. Uh, it's, uh, I have all the right words, let me tell you. And, and following through with all of the right words sometimes is hard right? Don't tell me I'm the only one. Following through with the right words sometimes is hard. We, we need God's help. Samuel, in contrast, appears to be fairly obedient. His, his, birth narrative, his birth story is the story of his mom setting an example of obedience and, and faithfulness, right? She says, if, if I ever receive this blessing, I'll give it back to the Lord. And she receives the blessing and she does it. And then Samuel, he receives the word from the Lord and he repeats it word for word. He does with the message what God intended him to do. And, and over and over again, Samuel's not perfect. Samuel is not perfect. He's flawed. But over and over again, we're going to see stories of him receiving a word from the Lord, even a, even a hard word at times, and doing what the Lord has called him to do. He's not perfect. We're going to look at some of the ways he's not perfect next week. This is a little teaser. But he... Uh, he seems to be pretty faithful about doing what he is told. And if there's a contrast to be made between he and Eli, maybe that's where it is. Maybe Eli is a good, a good speaker of the right words, but not a good doer of the right deeds. I'm reminded of the parable that Jesus told of the two sons. One said, yes, Father, I will go out and work for you. And then he goes to the house and he plays Nintendo. And the other son says, no, Father, I'm going to stay in the house and play Nintendo today when he was asked to work. And then he actually goes out into the field and he does the work that his father asked him to do. And Jesus asks, which of these sons is, is the obedient son? And obviously it's the one who didn't say the right words, but did the right thing. And maybe that's the type of contrast that we see here between Eli and Samuel. Samuel seems to be consistent. In the last three verses of this chapter, we, we read about his faithfulness. In, chapter, in verse 19, it says, As Samuel grew up, the Lord was with him, and everything Samuel said proved to be reliable. That means any time Samuel spoke on behalf of the Lord, it was, it was true. It came true. It was right. Uh, there was not a lot of patience. <laughs> there was zero tolerance in, in early Israel for those who said, I have a word for the Lord, and then it, didn't, it, it came out the opposite. So everything Samuel said proved to be reliable. And all Israel, from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south, knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, 
and gave messages to Samuel there at the tabernacle. So this, this dynamic, this contrast between Samuel and, and Eli, I think it has a lot to teach us. I think it's really instructive about God speaking, about the way we respond to God, about, about how God speaks. I'm, I'm sure there's a lot to be said in this passage about, about our willingness to, to be obedient and to, to go. And, and I think most important for us today um, from this passage is, is for us to, to think about hearing from God. It's, it's easy for us to relate to verse 1 in this chapter. Verse 1 in this chapter, if you remember, it talks about how visions are very rare. Messages were not often heard. It's easy for us to relate to that these days. I think, I think we live in a time when people would say, we don't, we don't hear from the Lord like maybe we wish we did, or maybe people did back generations before, or even in the early church. We live in a time where, where it just doesn't seem like the Lord is, is speaking, and there aren't many people who are willing to say, thus saith the Lord. We are skeptical. We are skeptical of the words the Lord told me, right? And as it should be. We should not just receive every, every person that says, the Lord told me as a prophet. We should, we should test, test the messages that are, are, are spoken on behalf of God. Um, but I, I worry that our level of caution rises at times to, to sound more like, yeah, God just doesn't speak like, like he used to. Yeah, God, God has his ways of talking to us, but God doesn't, doesn't actually give a message to anybody in these days. And I, I personally, I want, to avoid, I want to avoid saying that God doesn't speak to his servants. I, want to, I don't want to ever say that you could not hear a word from God. I don't want you to ever hear me say that. If God speaks to you, it should be consistent with Scripture. If God speaks to you, it, it should be consistent with, with his command to love him and love others. But may, may you never hear me say, yeah, you, you're not going to hear a word from the Lord. <laughs> because I think our God speaks. I think we, our God has not left us alone to figure it out without his voice. Our God's presence is with us to encourage us and comfort us to correct us, to guide us. God has not just created and left the outcome up to, to his creation to figure out. And God's voice is not limited to the visions and messages that come in the night, right? God, God is not limited. God speaks through his word, scripture. The Bible is here for us to listen to, to open up and, and hear the message Thus saith the Lord, right? God has given us his word to speak to us. God speaks through the wise counsel of our brothers and sisters in Christ. You, many of you, have spoken wise words that are from God into my life. God speaks through creation, right? Romans chapter 1 talks about how God's invisible qualities are on display in creation so that all of Everybody is without excuse. Nobody has an excuse to not know who God is because God's, God's handiwork is on display. God speaks to us in prayer. If we'll stop talking and we will listen in prayer. And the payoff of this passage to me, though, is, is this, this faithful listening ear of Samuel, this desire to hear and to do, and God's God's repeated communication. I think when we, we consider that God might speak to us, we might be worried that we'll miss it. We might be worried that, what if he only speaks once and I missed it? What if he spoke back then? What if, what if that, was, that was the time and I missed it? What if, what if that was the opportunity I had to hear from God? 
God shows us in, in his relationship with, with Samuel that God is not dissuaded by our confusion. God, God is not worried <laughs> that Samuel doesn't get it. God is patient. And even on the fourth time he comes back, he comes back four times to repeat his message, his call, and give Samuel the word that he has to speak. I don't think this is something that needs to stress us out. We don't need to be worried that we're not going to hear it. If God has a message for you, you, you will hear. You will know. But I, but I wonder, I wonder if, if sometimes we just go on hearing God's voice and keep confusing it for something else. I wonder, I wonder, how often it is that we just don't, we don't want to, or, or we, we want to hear somebody else's voice, or, or we just, we're not ready with the right response. Throughout scripture, this here I am that Samuel speaks is kind of a classic response. I, I think of Isaiah in his vision in the temple. The Lord says, whom shall I send and who will go for me? And Isaiah raises his hand. He says, here I am. I'll go. Send me. And that's, if we're listening, if we're listening, I think we'll have opportunity. I think if we're listening, we'll have opportunity. I have a picture for you. I have a picture in my mind of teenage quizzers. <laughs> Have you ever watched teen quizzing in the Church of the Nazarene? It's this amazing sport. It's an amazing thing. The, the teen quizzers in the Church of the Nazarene, they sit on hard chairs, and on their hard chairs is this little, this little thing. <laughs> That's the scientific definition of it. It's a little thing that senses their bottom on the chair, right? It senses their bottom, and as soon as they know the answer to the question, they're supposed to jump up, and answer the question. And really good teen quizzers, like we have around here, really good teen quizzers will hear a few words of the question, and they know all of the possible questions because they have a list of the questions. So teen quizzers memorize all of the questions and all of the answers so that when they hear a unique word in the question, they can jump up, and then they repeat the entire question. They have to complete the question, and then they give the answer. This is amazing. So what they do, what they do, I can't sit, sorry, they sit on the edge of their seat. They sit on the edge of their seat and they wait. They wait and they're on the edge of their seat and they're kind of rocking around. And as soon as they hear that word and they know what the question is and they know what the answer is, they jump and they, they give the right answer to the right question. And it's amazing. I think God has called us to move from a relaxed posture, sitting back with our back against the back of the chair, to scoot toward the edge so that we're ready, so that we're listening for that word that we know is for us. We, we've got the answer. The answer is not hidden deep behind, behind uh, the Bible that you, you haven't figured it out yet. The answer isn't, you know, the philosophical question I have about God as, <laughs> as our Father. The answer is not, is not hard. The answer is, here I am, send me. And so... What would happen? What would happen in the Lewis Clark Valley if all of First Naz started to scooch forward in their seat? If we all just just decided, you know what? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna listen. I'm just gonna listen. I'm just gonna scoot forward, and and maybe maybe I'll have the chance to jump. 
Maybe I'll know the answer. Oh wait, you do know the answer. The answer is here I am. Send me. Here I am. Speak. Lord, your servant is listening. Here I am. Are you ready to scoot forward? I think you are. I think we are ready. I think this valley is waiting. I think that we are ready to scoot forward and just just be right on the edge. Because I think God is ready to speak. I think God has a word for us. And he is just dying to hear us say, here I am. Send me. Will you stand? Will you stand with me now? And we're going to spend just a couple of minutes listening. And then we're going to spend a couple of minutes responding. So let's, let's start with some listening prayer. Oh, our Heavenly Father, come now and speak. Your servants are listening. Lord, I am certain that there are some here this morning who are hearing who are responding, here I am, send me. I'm certain that there are some here who have known that that was the answer that you wanted to hear for a while. God, give them the faith to answer, here I am, send me. God, give them the faith to know that even even if it seems hard and they don't know the next steps, they'll they'll just raise their hand. With, with all of their being, they will shout, here I am, Lord, send me. Lord, I also know that there are some among us who are waiting, who are wondering, Lord, what is it for me? Lord, when will I hear it? When will I hear your voice? Lord, I pray that you would speak. I pray that you would speak and that you would open ears that you would open hearts, that it wouldn't be for lack of attention, Lord, that we don't hear your voice. May we scooch toward the end of our seats, Lord, and be ready to jump when we hear the question. May we be ready to respond. Here I am. Send me. Brothers and sisters, I invite you to just practice to just say it out loud with me. Here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. One more time. Here I am, send me. Lord, here are your servants. We are ready to respond to you. Thank you, God, that you're patient, that you repeat it over and over again, that you're waiting for us. And help us, God. Help us, Lord. Give us the strength. Here we are, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Keep scooching toward the end of your seat this week. God bless you as you go. You are dismissed.